check is flat. Give me up. Look at Bill! Look at Bill! This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hey, friends. Welcome in. You are listening to Mile 97 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. This week, we are previewing what is possibly the most exciting marathon weekend in U.S. history as the majors at Chicago and Boston come at you on back-to-back days this Sunday and Monday. We haven't had two world marathon majors on the same weekend in nearly a decade since London and Boston fell on the same long weekend, and this time we get two of the premier races on American soil. The fields are stacked, the courses are legendary, the weather forecasts are taking shape, and the anticipation is palpable. So let's begin with a look at the elite races before we drill down on optimal racing strategies. The American headliners in Chicago are quite clear, Galen Rupp and Sarah Hall. Rupp is the 2017 Chicago champ the defending U.S. champ with his victory at the Atlanta Olympic Trials, and he won bronze at the 2016 Olympic Marathon in Rio. He holds a half-marathon personal best of 59.47 and a marathon best of 2 hours, 6 minutes, and 7 seconds. Hall, meanwhile, finished second in the London Marathon last year and followed that up with a new best time of 2 hours, 20 minutes and 32 seconds at the Marathon Project in Arizona in December. She's eyeing Dina Castor's American record of 219.36, and Chicago is certainly a favorable venue for record-breaking performances. Khalid Kanuchi set his American record there, and distance icons like Paula Radcliffe and Steve Jones broke world records in the Windy City. Bridget Koskay set the current women's world record on Chicago's flat and fast 26.2-mile course just two years ago. Ruppin Hall will be joined by a number of top contenders. Kenya's Ruth Chepengedich, the fourth fastest female marathoner ever, stands as Hall's greatest foe. Chepengedich owns PRs of 64.02 and 217.08 in the half marathon and marathon, respectively. Expect to see several other American women in the mix for the podium. In particular, Kira D'Amato will be a fun racer to watch. She caught lightning in a bottle in 2020, setting an American 10-mile record and later running a sub-223 marathon for a massive PR. She's only been back in competitive running for several years after taking nearly a decade off from the sport. And we'll see if lightning can strike again for Kira at Chicago. In the men's race, Rupp faces off against seven sub-206 runners with Japanese national record holder Kinjo Suzuki among the most recent additions to the field. Local Illinois favorite Chris Derrick is expected to return after missing the last edition with an ankle injury. And 10-man elites Reed Fisher will toe the line as well. 
Fisher had high hopes for last year's Olympic trials before suffering a devastating fall in the race. Local NBC will have your coverage for Chicago, so you can stream the race live on NBCChicago.com on Sunday morning. At Boston, we'll see Des Linden hoping to recreate the magic of her thrilling 2018 victory. Desi barely missed returning to the Olympics this year and in the meantime set a new 50K record. Also in Boston, it will be fascinating watching how Jordan Hesse fares. Hesse's incredible 2-20-57 at Chicago in 2017 seems like light years ago now as she's been beset by injuries since and hasn't threatened the top Americans in recent big races. Other highlights from the American entries include one of our greatest track and road racers ever, Molly Huddle, taking another crack at the marathon distance, and relative new kids on the block who have tasted success over the past year, Paige Stoner and Nell Rojas. The international field features two of the greats of the last decade in Edna Kiplagat and Mare de Baba. It could be a wide open field at Boston. Boston legends and some fun, familiar American names litter the men's side of the race. Past champs Yuki Kawauchi, Jeffrey Karui, and Lalisa DeCisa are back for more. And the race for top Americans should be quite a battle. Olympian Abdi Abdirahman is in the field as the top Masters athlete. We have Scott Favel who led the field through the Newton Hills in 2019 on his way to a 209 performance and his NAZ elite teammate, Scott Smith. Parker Stinson, always aggressive in his tactics, is back from injury. Might we see the American 25K record holder in the mix? And a gaggle of other American 210, 211, and 212 guys will be in Hopkinton for the race to Boylston Street. If you aren't competing in Boston and look forward to watching the action, Boston coverage airs live on NBC Sports with an earlier start than normal. Due to COVID protocols, we'll see the elite races set out at 8.30, 8.37, and 8.45. All right, as we prep you for marathon success, let's consider some general advice that serves you well at both Boston and Chicago. First, please turn off the auto lap function on your GPS watch. If you'd like mile splits, shift to manually splitting your watch. This is especially important at Chicago. With the downtown skyscrapers in the early miles and going through a tunnel early on, your satellite data will be off. Don't let this disrupt your rhythm. And don't let a misread due to GPS interference send you into a tailspin because you see misleading and negative information. Eliminate the distraction. If you desire race splits, establish some key points before your race and hit the lap button there to check in. I don't do a ton of splits myself during a marathon as I'm more focused on rhythm and effort, but I like a first mile split just to make sure I haven't gotten out too fast. Then on a course like Chicago or Boston that has both mile and kilometer markers, I might check in every five miles or 5K or 10K to see if I'm near my goal I set for that segment. As always, remember that even split races aren't perfectly even. Don't get frazzled by being a few seconds slow or fast each mile. 
Using bigger chunks can give you a better idea if you are generally on track with your plan. Also, remember these courses are professionally measured and certified. If the course registers long on your watch, that's probably because you haven't run the tangents and or your watch has overestimated your total distance. Speaking of tangents, in the early miles at Chicago, I recommend holding a position near the middle of the course and not getting too worried about the tangents. The crowds at those turns can become a traffic jam. So through two plus miles and the right turn from Jackson onto LaSalle, just stay patient. Let the congestion slow you down just a bit and prevent you from making a critical mistake with an overzealous start. The energy of the fans and your adrenaline make that an easy misstep. Save energy and avoid making an irreversible blunder in the opening miles. Then, as you ride LaSalle North toward the five-mile marker, you can begin using the blue line on the course that gives you the tangents so you don't tack on excess mileage. In Boston, I like cutting the course in half, not at 13.1, but rather across the width of the course, and staying on that half at least through Framingham and the 10-kilometer mark, where, depending on your pace, the pack might thin out. With this year's rolling start rather than the traditional waves, it's very possible you won't face huge congestion beyond Ashland after 5K. Regardless, picking a side and staying there on the long, mostly straight stretches early on circumvents needlessly weaving through the competition or using aid stations on opposite sides of the road. The rolling start also negates one of my favorite tactics at Boston, starting from the back of your corral. Typically, you're grouped with similar runners, and going to the back helps slow you in the chaos and excitement of the race start. So keep that in mind for future years when Boston returns to its usual format. Next, consider the weather in your plan of attack. Both race forecasts appear slightly warmer than optimal. In mile 79, professional marathoner and meteorologist Tyler McCandless reminded us that forecasts tend to start dialing in a week to five days out from the event, and I'm recording within that window. While it's possible we see some changes, the current projections suggest race time temperatures in the low to mid-60s. These are conditions where we can still have success, but it requires a well-choreographed race plan. I would encourage pulling back your goal pace per mile by five to 10 seconds in these temperatures, perhaps even more in the early miles, then attacking the closing stretch. At Chicago, that means from around the 35K mark in, and at Boston, it is from the top of Heartbreak Hill near mile 21. Moreover, be aware of the weather in your nutrition and hydration plan. This is even more reason to be sure you aren't overhydrating simply with water in the race lead up and flushing everything from your system that you need to properly function on race day. During the race, you might want to take an extra cup of water at each aid station and pour it over your head to help with cooling. And bring a hat, preferably light colored, along to keep the sun off your head if necessary. Third, 
be prepared with your logistical plan. This is easier at Boston than normal because you won't be waiting around all morning in Hopkinton as in other years. But plot your breakfast based on the timeout from racing. Our general rule is about 100 calories per hour out from the race start. And know where your bus picks you up and the easiest way to get there. In Chicago, logistics are a little more challenging. If you aren't staying in one of the start line hotels, you need to plan your morning commute accordingly. I know more than a few racers who have cut this too close for comfort. Also, know where you enter your corral so you aren't endlessly wading through the mass of thousands trying to find your start area. Remember, stress on your body is stress on your body, regardless if it comes from the actual racing and prepping for all these variables reduces wasted physical and mental energy, especially early in your race. And as a final reminder, connecting from last week's episode on your taper, remember that it's not the aerobic fitness that fades in the days before the race. I had this conversation again with a listener this week. Remember, it's the neuromuscular stuff that we want to stay on top of. So include those strides, something with some short, quick turnover in these closing days leading up to your race. Now let's turn to some course specifics. First, Chicago. This is an exceptionally flat course. The one true uphill comes at you in the final mile as you turn right up Roosevelt before the final left turn on Columbus. This is the spot where Sammy Wanjiru made his final furious move and his heroic come from behind 2010 victory. You hear that call in our show's open. The pancake terrain creates an opportunity for fast times, but comes with the drawback of employing the same muscles for virtually the entire race. So you might benefit from an occasional pace change, Pick a few mile markers, mid to late race, and gently accelerate for 10 to 20 seconds. Changing cadence and increasing knee lift can help break you out of a late race fade while switching up how you use your lower body muscles. I like creating three phases in a Chicago race plan. The first we already touched on is the crowded early period. Here we gradually work down to marathon pace. Your first mile might be as much as 30 seconds slower than your goal. Then by somewhere between 5K and 5 miles on the straight heading north on LaSalle, progress to your marathon effort. Then you're locked into marathon rhythm for the majority of the course. Again, it won't be a perfectly even split each mile but here you are approximately even and doing your best to avoid pressing too hard too early. Miles 14 to 20 can present the greatest psychological challenge in Chicago. Here you are at the far western end of the course, detached from the biggest crowds. Plus the competition has thinned out and you might even be running alone and you're starting to get a little fatigued. Stay mentally engaged and focused on your race. If a pack is moving at your desired pace, go ahead and tuck in. Let someone else do the work for you for a few miles. The big move comes in our go zone somewhere around 35K. 
in those final miles, it is time to race and to hunt competitors. Think of cutting five to 10 seconds in the first mile of this final phase, then lock your eyes on a jersey or hat in the crowd ahead and go hunting. Once you catch a competitor, get your eyes on the next one. By this point, our conservative nature, given the weather, is set aside and you attack. Boston is a different beast. Its undulating terrain requires a more nuanced strategy with additional checkpoints. From the gun, you'll enter a fairly precipitous downhill in the first mile out of Hopkinton. The opening net drop of 200 plus feet bottoms out near mile four in Ashland, and this is our first checkpoint. The first four miles of the Boston course are an alluring trap where it's easy to make a major error. Getting out hard and banking time here by using the downhill will likely come at the cost of eccentric pounding on your quads that you will pay for later on. I encourage approaching the first mile almost like a jog and not finding marathon effort until the first checkpoint at mile four. In both Boston and Chicago, the beginning miles can serve as an extended warm-up as you slowly work down to marathon pace. From mile four to mile 15.5, we enter a relatively flat section of the course. This is a time for settling into your marathon rhythm and staying patient. I always remind our runners that you should feel good here. It's early in a marathon. Just because you feel good doesn't mean it's time to drop the pace. The race in Boston starts at checkpoint two at mile 15 and a half. As an aside, on a bad weather day, which we've seen a time or two at Boston, I like to check in at mile 10 at Natick as well. This is particularly valuable for a first timer. Boston is a unique and beautiful experience with its tradition and history and qualifying standards. We want you to enjoy the day, especially if it's your first trip. And mile 10 can be a fair point for a body scan and assessing what adjustments you might need to make before getting into the meat of the course to make sure you leave Boston loving the experience. Our third phase spans from mile 15.5 to mile 21, the Newton Hills. It's not just Heartbreak Hill, but a series of four ascents with significant runnable flat stretches in between those hills. And that all starts with a big downhill at the beginning of our third phase of the race. Don't overdo this descent. Stay at marathon effort and let the hill carry you. Focus on cadence and striking under your hips so you don't overreach. And I recommend chopping the stride a bit for a few seconds out of each of the downhills and uphills in this sequence to help find your rhythm again. Many savvy Boston veterans will tell you the right turn and uphill at the Newton Fire Station is really the sneaky tough climb in the Newton Hills. And of course, Heartbreak Hill closes our third phase as the final hill leading up to mile 21. Know that you're going to lose some time up these hills. It's okay, because sacrificing time there 
combined with staying under control early will set you up for a fantastic finish. From the final checkpoint at the top of Heartbreak Hill, you have an opportunity to hammer the finish to Boylston Street. From here to mile 24 is mostly downhill, and from mile 24 on, it's primarily flat. But be careful with that little bump up by the sit-go sign at mile 25. It can bite you. In sum, if executed well, from mile 21 on at Boston, you can carry out a significant negative split. At both Chicago and Boston, it's crucial that you zoom in on these phases and even smaller chunks of the course. Your race will have peaks and valleys. Thinking about the enormity of racing 26.2 miles will only exaggerate those valleys. Focus on one stride at a time. Be in the moment. And ultimately, you'll work your way out of the dark moments of the race. Maybe you target the next mile marker or the next water table. Or you could borrow Paula Radcliffe's strategy of counting to get her mind off the moments of struggle and come prepared with the words of positive self-talk and the mantras that you'll use throughout the race. Chicago and Boston are among the crown jewels of our sport. These are the races you have tirelessly prepared for, putting in countless hours of road work and endless left turns during track intervals. Now's the time for celebration and joy. This is the fun part. You've done the work. Now you get to prove it and have fun in the process. 26.2 miles on these courses creates a lifetime of memories. Then afterward, go grab a burger or shake or pizza or all three if you're like me and kick your feet up for some much-needed time off before we begin the process again. Enjoy these races, and we'll see you next time right here on Seconds Flat.